like an ATM. It's so easy. Overnight, instant online riches. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my captain, my Magellan, my co-hostess with the most. It's a man, and I'm not kidding. Once upon a time, suggested that this very podcast be called the Business Lifestyle Podcast. True or not true, sir? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, either way, I have no recollection. If you guys stick around to the end of the show, we'll share with you a simple tool that can help you generate more high-quality marketing content for your business. And if you're interested in getting into the Kindle or ebook marketplace, this tool is a game changer. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Today in the meat and potatoes, we are going to talk about pricing and getting that Monet from your customers. But first, the shouts, news, and questions. I'd like to thank all of you out there. Let's get the applause effect. Thank you for helping us to consistently be in the top 25 business shows on iTunes. You know, it's pretty nuts, Ian. Sometimes you go in there and you see, you know, Harvard Business Review and Stanford, and then you see us two dipsticks there, you know, at number see 21. see a bunch of palm trees. Yeah. <laughs> it's Your a future re- business right there, palm trees. That's right. Let's put a palm tree on it. This show needs more palm trees. So thank you. And your reviews help us get there this week. Chris, for example, gave us five stars. So Dan and Ian, thank you for delivering great content that entertains and teaches us, but most of all, motivates us to work. Uh, Chris says he can never listen to two episodes in a row just because he can't help himself but to get working on his own projects after listening to an episode of the LBP. So thank you, Chris, for that support and that five-star iTunes review. Quick update. Some of you guys have been asking about Tropical Talk Radio. What's going on with the Every Friday show? I was trying to do an Every Friday show, but the problem is is that we haven't yet locked down an editor um, uh, for that show. The problem is Friday always comes way too quick. That's the problem. And so we're going to be working this out. I got to talk with Alyssa this week about, um, you know, what our game plan is with all of our content going forward. I really like to put out two podcasts a week. And uh, Alyssa's just so busy with all the other stuff we've got going on and and myself as well. So it's possible that we're going to be hiring a full-time editor. So I got to talk with the boss about that, but uh, I'm kind of kicking that around. So anyway, I I love Tropical Talk Radio. I love doing it. I want to make sure that we do it every week. So again, we didn't end up doing this show every week until we just sat down and hired an editor. And I think we're going to have to do the same thing over there because if it's up to me to get it up on the internet, um, it's, it's just really tough for me to justify given a lot of the other things that I'm not uh, getting done during the week, Ian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's, give, uh, let's give old Ira a call, see if he's got any extra editors over there at the show. <laughs> Speaking of amazing <laughs> podcasts, talking about Ira, not the LVP, uh, I want to give a shout to Dan at Hardcore History. And thanks to Rob uh, from the Tropical MBA uh, last semester for sitting me down and saying, Dan, you got to listen to Hardcore History. You'll love it. Well, Rob was right. This is an insanely good podcast. It's hugely entertaining, and I'm addicted to it now. I go on daily hardcore history 
walks and I love hearing about stuff like you know the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of the you know the Germans in, in Central Europe and uh, or in Western Europe I was just thinking about the magic of, of podcasting Ian and these history lectures are better than anything I've ever heard in a university setting and I took a lot of history classes at quite a few, at two or three different universities listen to me how many three different universities I've taken history lectures and, Jeez. and not even close to what this guy offers for free on iTunes hardcore history you've listened to an episode right uh no you just told me about it last night I haven't had a chance yet but looking forward to it I like the idea of hardcore history walks so that sounds pretty exciting to me Stop. who needs movies when you got hardcore history podcast all right we got a great question for the meat and potatoes Ian let's bring it down to business enough lifestyle Matthew Paulson, uh, big supporter of the show, uh, one-time guest of the show and dc -er, great entrepreneur in his own right, says, my biggest question about business lately has been pricing. I have no idea whether or not I'm charging my customers too much, too little, etc. With physical products, you have a good idea of what your cost of goods sold are, so you can get a pretty standard markup, and that's the price. But we all know with digital products, it's a little trickier. What, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about issues revolving around pricing your products and receiving payments from your products, which Ian, I know is your, probably your favorite topic. One of them. Yes, it is. All right. First, I want to open up with something that I think is one of the hardest business lessons to learn. We were talking earlier in a few podcast episodes ago about how it's so hard when a jerk offers you a bunch of money to do something, it's hard to say no. Like that's one of the toughest business lessons to learn ever. So yeah. Some guy like Ian comes up to you and just wants to buy your soul. It's sort of hard. <laughs> it's hard to say no. You know, this guy's got 70 grand he's going to give me. It's tough to turn that money down and to stick with your values, although we know that that's the right thing to do. Well, here's something on par with that. Don't offer credit terms on your customer's terms. So it's this scenario, Ian, where you're selling a $5,000 product and your customer comes to you and says, hey man, can I like pay you $1,000 now and then $2,000 like two weeks and I'll pay you $3,000 upon delivery. Yeah, there's a serious uh, cost to doing that kind of business. Uh, first thing, the first problem with that is that you're not a bank, right? And, and starting to act like a bank with your customers is really a bad idea because then you have to manage the relationship as a bank. Uh, all you wanted to do was just uh, sell them a product. And uh, that was that was the original arrangement. They come to you, they buy your product, and then they go away happy. Uh, and then maybe do some customer support for them or something down the line. But now all of a sudden you're introducing this whole new relationship, which is, hey, I'm Ian the banker. Right. And, uh, you know, not a great business to get into unless uh, you're a banker. It's kind of like they see it as a business opportunity. It really is a symptom that your product isn't compelling enough or that you haven't built up enough audience in order to buy that product or there's something wrong with your marketing. Yeah, like using it as a, as a sales tool is a bad idea. Exactly. Because it says something about your product and your process, which is it's not good enough. That's exactly right. And it's just so much easier to just take $1,000 off your product or to offer those terms than it is to actually go fix your marketing message, which really needs to be fixed. Because that's why people are, that's why you're tempted to take these offers in the first place. You're putting yourself in serious financial hot water. And I have friends who do this stuff and they're in deep crap. And every week we are offered this kind of stuff, Ian, and I can happily say that the only time we offer credit terms to people are when they're a customer that has a bureaucracy on their hands. So they're a larger customer. They have some kind of accounting bureaucracy that we have to sort of work with. And that's cool as long as they pass our own internal credit guidelines. 
And yeah, that's it, right. So on the product side of the business, you know, we run into this all the time. Uh, we have to deal with uh, purchase orders and, you know, larger corporations, they place purchase orders. They can't pay until receivement of goods. You know, they have their own um, terms written that you kind of have to work with. So we do again, go against this uh, sometimes. But like you said, uh, it's only uh, in, in institutional instances. And I'll tell you right now, we've got a couple Porsches on the books in terms of our AR. But uh, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that that's going to get paid out. And we know exactly when it's going to get paid out. And that's kind of just the cost of doing business. Uh, in that arena for us. Oh, all right. Here's a here's a here's a similar point to that, Ian. Let's avoid bro pricing. This one's really tough. Uh, you know, when you're doing business with people that you like, um, you know, here's the thing. Our, our basic principle here is: if you don't do it for any, you know, any everybody, then don't do it for anybody. So don't give these like. Here's the thing: the guy asking for bro pricing isn't your bro, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> and what I don't like about bro pricing is that it hurts your integrity. You know, it hurts your integrity to your marketplace that like it makes your pricing look arbitrary. Now, don't go moving that line because you had a couple beers with some guy one time. There was an interesting phenomenon with the with the bro pricing and in, in the beer drinking. It's like always it's always the guys that don't really need the bro pricing that ask for the bro pricing, I find. And then the other part of it is like if they're really your bro, they understand that um, you know there was a cost to making that product and that you really need uh, that margin to survive and to grow your business. And so it's like almost like they're hurting your business by asking for bro pricing because they're essentially asking you for a discount, which is going to cost you money. And these are the people that care about you the most, you know, your bros. I mean, people ask for bro pricing from that time to time, but it's more often the problem on the side of the entrepreneur who wants to extend bro pricing, who thinks it's like sort of offensive to ask for money from people. And, and the problem is, is that's just like a virus. It sort of seeps into everything you do. You can't draw lines anymore because eventually you ought to be friends with all of your customers, right? It's important to have a hard line on some of this stuff. You're cutting into free and clear margin. And that's the most important thing to maintain as an entrepreneur in terms of your pricing is you have to maintain your margins and you're just giving it away and you're not getting any benefit from it. In fact, you could be doing quite the opposite, which is setting a precedent where you have to continue to extend discounts to these people in order to make them feel like you're you know, giving them the kind of deferential or sort of exclusive treatment that they've come accustomed to. Instead, offer that exclusive treatment to them in other ways rather than cutting into your margin, which is the very thing that's going to inspire you to continue to give that kind of treatment. Right? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, trying to keep track of your bro pricing is a nightmare. That's, that's another point. Speaking of bro pricing, our real, our real bro, Tim Conley, one time donated $100 to our business. And uh, I think that that's the, I mean, Tim Conley, obviously a great friend of ours. And it was just a, a really inspiring thing that you know, he said, hey, thanks for doing that. You know, I'm gonna, even though you guys didn't charge me, I'm going to send you guys a $100 donation so that you can grow your business. Now, that's bro pricing. Thank you, That's Tim bro Conley. pricing. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and this is, you know, I don't want to beat the dead horse on this stuff, but, uh, you know, I saw one of our students the other day giving giveaways, Ian, and I'm really not a big fan of discounts or giveaways, especially if those giveaways are sort of your primary product, right? If you want to give away like an older product that's sort of like on the shelves or whatever, totally cool. But again, it's this issue of in pricing integrity. If you give, you train your customers, right, to see that you're giving these 25% discounts every two months, maybe they, they're going to feel like a goober to buy the product at full price now. So I, yeah, exactly. Like, when is the last time uh, you saw somebody giving away a free pair of Nikes? 
I don't think that's ever happened. I've never seen a free pair of Nikes before. And the reason is because that would hurt the perceived value of the brand and of the product. I mean, you're essentially saying this product has no value, therefore we are able to give it away. Yeah. And I'm going to remember that. So next time I go and spend $140 on a pair of Nikes, I'm going to say, hmm, they must be really flexible in their pricing and their operations and their product costs here because uh, they give away products all the time. So I feel like a sucker paying $140 right now. Yeah, I'm going to hang back and wait till the next time. You know, we were talking about like, for brand messaging, people might hear about your product. Uh, like say, you know, people hear about our product at Dynamite Circle. This is one of our products for this, our private forum. That, but they might have to hear about it. People, they don't join until they hear about it seven, 10, 15 times, whatever. Dynamite Circle, Dynamite Circle, Dynamite Circle. Right? So but if half of the time you're mentioning- That's just one show. Yeah. Right? They hear about it 14 <laughs> times. <laughs> if if you every time you bring up your product, half of the time you're like, it's 20% off. You know what I mean? Like what kind of message are you sending? So I don't like that messaging. The fundamental uh, issue here, and this is the hardest thing to learn, uh, if, if too many of your customers are asking for terms from you, n take that as a symptom of a deeper problem. You, know? um, you wanna take a look at your product, your offering, your target marketplace, um, you know, you, in particular, the types of trust that you're generating with people. If people don't trust you to pay you up front for products, you know, you've got, you've got some key issues there that you need to address. Don't address them on the terms front. This is a big problem I see in business. So I just wanted to go a little ranty ranty on that. And, and one more thing I want to talk about before we get into the pricing of digital goods, Ian, is how to compete with custom pricing. Because I know a lot of our audience are, they're consultants. They have custom quote forms on their websites. Um, and so how do we compete when we're giving custom pricing? Okay, so uh, we're quite good at this because we do a, t a lot of our businesses based on custom quotes. So I thought we would address this. Now, one of the things we see quite a bit is that we are quoting the same types of products that our competitors have. So what we'll do is we'll bundle products together uh, to offer super high quality bundles rather than just going toe to toe with our competition. Another thing that we'll do is uh, we'll add on uh, low-cost, high-value tack-ons. So, yeah. for example, uh, we sell portable bars at theportablebarcompany.com. And one of the things that doesn't cost us a whole bunch of money but is a really good value for the customer are the LEDs. And so that's a way to increase our price. Uh, I should say LED lighting. So that's a way to increase our uh our final uh, price, but not uh, increase our cost too much. So it's just incremental. Um, and, and we'll bundle that in with the product price. So if you guys go to the portable bar company within three days and sign up for the mailing list, we're going to be giving away a portable bar to one lucky listener within the next week. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Everything is easy customer experience. This is in particular important when people are signing up for your quote form online. You definitely want to, you know, blind test. If you have an employee or a VA doing this uh, first line of customer service, you want to go and blind test this stuff, right? You want to make it just smooth as butter. You know, Ian, I hate when I'm calling a CSR from another company and they're like, sir, I'm sorry, sir, we don't offer, sir, we don't offer that kind of shit, sir, we don't. It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and I think the cool thing about this is and something that you mentioned is that, look, there's not a lot of incremental cost to just being kick-ass for your customers. It's mainly about training, you know, entry-level employees or VAs, which is a lot of, you know, it's, it's a lot of effort on your part. But especially entry-level employees, they tend to sort of 
project their emotions onto your customers and you wanna prevent them from doing that, right? So someone is making them frustrated and they're gonna get into the sir, 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 that kind of thing, you wanna prevent that and instead you want them to be like, of course, of course we can, I can look at that, for, I can take care of that for you. Yeah, so this is also increasing the value of your product and you know, I'd like to think about these customer service things as, as, uh, as, as low cost, high value tack-ons as well. So uh, things like uh, warranties, okay? I know my product's gonna last at least five years without any trouble, therefore I'm gonna offer you know, a three year warranty so I'll be safe on that. Uh, I'm gonna have a very loose return policy because my products never get returned so it's oh, yeah. never gonna cost me any money but it's gonna be perceived by the customer as a really nice thing to do. Um, and like you said, I'm going to train my staff to basically do uh, whatever we can do that's not going to cost us money to uh, let the customer know that we value them. Absolutely. And speaking of all this, this comes down to my final point, which is uh, one of my favorite buzz terms in all of our organizations, which is responsiveness. And I often talk about testing for the sort of the variable value of responsiveness in any action in your business. You know, how valuable is responsiveness here? If we just got back to people in one hour rather than in three hours, what's the difference there? And I think you'll find in a lot of aspects of your business, it's huge. And especially, you know, people will go with you if you get back to them within one hour versus your competitors getting back to them within one day. Uh, they're okay with that. Like they trust responsiveness. They value responsiveness and are willing to pay a little extra for it. So if you can get yeah. back to your customers faster with a price, you're going to start the conversation with them and maybe you'll get away with a couple extra points on your price or they'll let you know that you're a little high and you can adjust that fast. One of the things I love about pricing is that it's not really ever about pricing. You know, everybody's so elastic on this. The supplier is pretty elastic. The purchaser is pretty elastic in terms of like what they're willing to spend. I mean, it's it's so interesting when you start talking to people about what their budget is versus what they're willing to spend versus what they actually spend. I mean, it can be all over the place. And so it's not really about a dollar figure, I think, for most people. A lot of people do what I call like emotional buying. And yeah. so uh, you really load them up on things um, that they want and that they like, and you deliver it to them at a price uh, that they can understand. Yeah. I love it, man. All right. So let's talk about digital goods because that's what the question was about. And digital goods are tricky. They're unique. So we're going to talk about uh, a few things that we've learned in pricing and we've seen from our friends uh, in pricing digital products. And it won't be comprehensive, but here's some, here's some things that we've learned. Number one, uh, it's super important when it comes to digital products to focus on price anchoring. And the way we like to anchor our prices is delivering so much more for an agreed upon price for so much less. Sometimes you want to go outside of that, of that agreed upon value and like focus your product on a different problem that's much more expensive problem and then deliver it for so much less. Let me give you an example, like a real example of this. John McIntyre has a juicing product. And now one thing you could do is you could go look at like, all right, I sell juicing recipes. How much does everybody else sell juicing recipes for? Well, everybody sells them for $9.97 in eBooks, okay? Well, that's one way to sell juicing recipes. But what if you, what other problems could you anchor that product to? Well, juicing can help you avoid a heart attack. Well, a heart attack in our day and age could be a $50,000 problem. So at you, least. you could anchor your juicing product to solve that heart attack problem. And now all of a sudden you can sell a $97 product to help 
solve a $50,000 problem. Now that's a, the, the type of price anchoring that you wanna be thinking about. So a lot of times it is thinking outside of your product niche and saying, all right, well, everybody else in my niche is just thinking, you know, ebook salesmen, for example, are saying, well, people think ebooks are worth $10, so my product's worth $10. Well, you know, maybe the guy who has a outdoor barbecue is used to buying outdoor barbecues, which are 500 bucks. So he's not going to pay me $3,000 for a portable bar, but the guy who's used to paying $20,000 is, and he's going to feel really happy about it. So I think that exactly. that's about price anchoring. One other thing about price anchoring, you know, you look at a pro programs like the tropical MBA, um, that was price anchored. Everybody knows, like it was a big joke when we said it was going to be $2,000 because that's what all the business opportunity products online, like that's the classic price. So we anchored to that classic price and tried to deliver so much more. All right. What if instead of just sitting at home and reading a bunch of DVDs and eBooks, all of a sudden you got to come to a resort, you got to eat food, you got to hang out with 20 other people. Yeah. And I think people uh, recognize that because there was a lot of associated costs with that product. Whereas, uh, you know, these business guru products for $2,000 that you buy online and you get an email and a link to a PDF later on. I mean, that's it. One of the things we did with our sales letter on the, on the tropical MBA, we offer our students, for example, uh, we help them put up a website. We help them get logos. You know, we help them do CSS and all that kind of stuff. You know, to go get avocado a, shakes, avocado shakes to go get a, a, a web design at Dan Norris's web design firm, it was $2,000 entry level web website. So it's like, look, you know, that's a way that you can anchor your price and you can say, look, it's $2,000 just to go get a website from this guy, this, this honky tonk guy, webdomination.co. Uh, listen to his podcast. It's great. <laughs> so the idea is to anchor, you know, your product to the highest dollar value problems that you can find out there. And, and that's price anchoring. Let's talk a little bit about unobtrusive pricing. And this is sort of similar to like making everything easy. And the one example that this has worked out really well for us is with the dynamite circle. Every three months, a dynamite circle member is going to have sort of a gut check because they're going to get an invoice and they're going to say, do I want to continue uh, with this product? And we're going to have to give them a compelling reason every 90 days to stick around. When your pricing is low enough, like if you have a $17 a month product or a $20 a month or maybe a $10 a month, I'd suggest considering doing quarterly and or annual memberships or six month memberships. How does it feel to get an invoice for $30 every month versus $100 every three months? So these are the kinds of questions like I would go around and ask people, you know, where you could split test this on your website and take data or whatever, if, if that's possible for you. Um, but I think that this is, this is something that's really worth looking at is the yeah. rhythm. We call this rhythm. Like what's the rhythm of getting an invoice from you? How difficult is it to work with you? If someone's pinging me every 30, 30 days saying, Hey, I'm taking money from you. Hey, I'm taking money from you. I mean, that's, that's pretty common. That's pretty often. And that means that, you know, your product's pretty in your face, but if you're only charging 30 bucks, you know, maybe it's kind of just something that'd be nice for people to have in their back pocket. So why are you going to be so in their face about it all the time? Why not just charge them once a year? Yes, I love the rhythm idea and understanding the rhythm that your customers like to pay or kind of their threshold for, for paying and what it is every month and trying to figure that out with your pricing. And this is something we went back and forth on like many, many hours trying to figure out like what the best way was forward for us with the Dynamite Circle in terms of payment. And I think the conclusion that we came to is, has been pretty successful. Unfortunately, the methodology there and speaking directly to Matt is knowing your customers, speaking with a lot of them and, you know, you would call this customer development, so to speak, you know, actually talking 
to your digital customers, getting a sense for who they are and where they're at in their lives. And uh, you, know, you have to use a little bit of your intuition at a certain point. And, you know, being a part of your target market really helps. And, and so me, as a Dynamite Circler myself, you know, as a big user of the site, I thought, you know, I don't want to be bugged about this every month. Some, you know, this is a place for, for ballers, for entrepreneurs. We're all busy. I don't, this isn't like the main thing in my life. I just, you know, how about just letting me know about it quarterly? And that, to me, makes a little bit more sense, especially when we're only talking about 100 bucks. You know, the $30 email might be just, just as much of a pain in the butt as the $30, you know what I mean? So it's totally. just, I think that that's something worth considering about and really knowing who your target market is. One of the things I want to talk about, especially when it comes to your first uh, product, Ian, is uh, pricing products to optimize a buyer audience and not to pay your rent. Okay, so you're, as a digital entrepreneur just getting started, your first product out the door is really important because what you're doing is you're creating a buyer audience, which is different from the audience of people in general that you have. It's a new audience. It's people that are willing to pay you money, and those people are really important. The problem, what happens is a lot of people burn out this audience by overcharging for their first product and under-delivering, and the reason they do this is because they feel like they got to pay their rent. Yeah, I feel like this is a big no-no, and I see it like a lot of times with uh first-time entrepreneurs that are like jumping off and and I, I would say this to them like especially if you relate it to the product business like could you imagine all the time and effort I think it took us about a year to build our first portable bar and you know that can be similar time uh, that's needed to build uh, your digital good as well I mean these things take a lot of time on the front end to build so could you imagine spending that year building that product and then developing that audience maybe taking another year or two and then basically just dumping the product on them at such an enormous price that they can't even believe it. And so, of course, like some people buy it, you move your inventory, but you just totally screw out your audience and they don't want to buy from you anymore. Yeah. And so then now what do you have? You've got two years down the drain because you can't sell to that audience anymore. You have to shift your audience. You have to find a new audience to talk to because you burned them so bad. Yeah, you, you want to find a way to cultivate these people, to continue working with them, and then to continue to step up their buying behavior. So, you know, especially if you're building an audience like online personality-based marketing, you know, you're making a big ask of your audience, and they might step up to the plate for that for the first time, right? Because they want to support what you're doing. The problem is, is if you don't deliver on that, they're not going to continue that buying behavior. And we're going to ratchet up if you start huge. You know, you're going to start charging $6,000 right now. So I want, to, I want people to think about cultivating that buyer audience over the long term. And here's one way you can do that. Is we'll leave you with this thought, which is especially with digital products, online marketing, the huge advantage of recurring products over one time. And this goes into this whole idea of undercharging and over-delivering, Ian. Uh, I ran an experiment at the Tropical MBA class um, based on my article, Kevin Kelly's, you know, his 1,000 true fan concept, which is you have 1,000 people paying you $100 a year right. versus my 100 true customer concept, which is you have 100 true customers paying you a dollar a day, okay? And I asked people to vote. Would you rather have 100 true fans paying you $100 a year, making $100,000 a year, or have 100 true customers paying you a dollar a day, which makes you $36,500 a year. But the kicker, of course, is that your 100 true customers are on a subscription paying you a dollar a day. And of course, the, uh, uh, it was a loaded question, but everybody in the room agreed that they would prefer to have the 100 people on subscription. 
And I agree. So what we're saying here is that it's worth taking a 65, if we're right, it's worth taking a 65% price reduction in order to get people on a recurring product. And this is about developing that buyer audience, Ian. Right. So the I think part of the cool part about having a recurring audience is that you get to talk to them uh, on many occasions. So obviously you can talk to them when you ask for money, but uh, if they're part of a subscription, you can talk to them the whole time they're a subscriber. Um, whereas uh, with the first option, uh, if they just pay you directly and then that's it, uh, that product is supposed to last maybe for the lifetime. I don't know, what, whatever that is, six months, a year, 10 years, whatever it is. Um, and then from there, it's like uh, you, you don't have as many opportunities to talk to them. Yes. And this is that, again, that long term focus of get, you know, maybe what you're doing is you're taking all those things you like wanted to charge $500 for all this stuff. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to charge $500 for it. I'm going to charge a dollar a day. And it's that long term cultivation of value. Um, you've got a bed of buyers with which you can like launch and develop new ideas and products. And it's, it's, it's sort of a more of a commitment mindset, which is like, oh, I'm gonna get a hundred bucks from all these guys. I'm gonna get out. That's like the affiliate marketer mindset. You know, and the only, right. the only thing recurring is the, the one ad campaign or marketing, SEO marketing channel, whatever. Whereas in, in the case of the 100 true customers, what's recurring is your goodwill and relationship with your marketplace. That to me is sustainable. And that's why I want 100 true customers and not a thousand true fans. That's right. Long ball versus short ball. And sometimes long ball means you got to sleep on mom's couch a couple extra days. <laughs> All right, buddy, let's get moving on to just the tips. Oh, yeah. All right, so, Ian, I want to tell you guys about a program that I've been using for the last week. And this is a game changer. I've been having a big problem because I'm writing a book that's going to be uh, launched by the end of this year. Launched. I'm going to launch it. I'm going to, I'm going to put a book on our website by the end of the year. And it's gonna just be about our business and some of the stuff that we've learned. And I got to the point where I had 38,000 words, Ian. And it was just, it was, an, it was a headache to organize my writing. And then I have like 10 or 15 blog post ideas and they're just freaking everywhere. And it's just all my crap is everywhere. So I downloaded this program called- That's, hold on. Part of the reason why your crap is everywhere is because you're not on Evernote yet. But- That's a good point. So I, I was actually comparing this with Evernote and they're, they have very similar functionality. So. Um, it's going to depend on what you ultimately want to do. Evernote might work for most people. If you want to be a writer and, and, or generate eBooks, Evernote's not going to cut it. You're going to want Scrivener. And Scrivener is a, is a software application developed for and loved by writers. And it's got all the functionality of like ByWord app and WriteRoom where it like makes it clean and simple for you to focus on your writing. But it goes one step further, which it allows you to break down your books and your ideas into like small little simple uh, sort of documents. And then you can drag and drop them into order and then compile them into eBooks. It's absolutely amazing. So you can go from Scrivener directly into a Kindle ebook overnight. So like I can put all my writing on my Kindle when I go travel today back to the United States and you know, proof my draft and take notes in there and then come back to Scrivener and fix everything. So if you wanna develop an ebook, if, you wanna, if you're an aspiring novelist, if you like to write nonfiction, even if you're a person that has 25 open blog ideas, I think Scrivener might be the best way to go. 
all kinds of awesome features for writers. You can split screen with your research. You can split screen with your other writing. You can sort of mishmash stuff together. You know, sometimes I'll have five blog ideas going and they all should really be two or three posts or 15 posts. Scrivener is the way to go for that. And yeah, and it's only $45. Only 45 bucks. And speaking of writing, I've been using this new app called Self Control. I like it because it's not a browser plugin. <laughs> By the way, I saw this in the notes that you'd written, written this out, and it's just a tip, self-control. And I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good tip. I didn't realize it was a product. I go back and forth on these apps, Ian, you know, the little browser plugins that, like, keep you off of Facebook and stuff. Um, and I'm back on it now, and especially now that I'm focused on this book project, I really like giving myself 25-minute bursts where, hey, you know, I just can't go to Facebook. I just cannot go to Twitter, and that's... That's good for me. And speaking of traveling, while we're on it, uh, I'm flying to New York City uh, in just, just under 24 hours now. And I'm going to be bringing with me my inflatable Delsey pillow. You know, I might have brought it up before, but it's a simple $20 purchase. We'll link to it. And it's an inflatable uh, collar pillow for the airplane. I always thought, Ian, that I wasn't a plane sleeper. That was my self-image until I got one of these pillows, man. And I'm just all Zs all the way. So uh, if, if you can't fall asleep on airplanes and if you're getting the window seat to try to cram your head against the, uh, the, That's uh, my trick. the plastic there, uh, do, I do suggest that you drop, drop it like it's hot, 20 bucks on one of these Delsey pillows, and you'll be all Zs. Well, this has been a long one, Ian. I'm about, about ready to do, do a face plant into the microphone. Any yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, I uh, can't wait to catch up with you stateside next week uh, we're gonna leave you with one of our favorite rap bands the tribe tribe called quest this is the scenario and our scenario is we'll be joining you next thursday morning booyah hey everybody thanks for listening don't be shy we've got a mailing list lifestylebusinesspodcast.com go there get yourself signed up and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do but here's the real scoop. I'm all that and then some. Short doctor has some bust a nut inside your eye to show you where I come from. I'm vexed, fuming. I've had it up to here. My days of pain, dues are over. Acknowledge me is in there. Yeah. yeah. Head for the border. Go get a taco. I see wreck it from the jump street. Meaning from the get go. Sit back, relax, and let yourself go. Don't sweat what you heard, but act like you know. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Who got the vibe? It's the tribe, y'all. Tribe, y'all. Vibe, y'all. Vibe, y'all. Inside, outside, come around. Who's that? I was just going to make a really bad joke there. I can't. Uh, you Don't do it. <laughs> that was the worst thing ever.